in his mind or spirit or saw it, whichever it is, whatever we call visions and whatever is you might have. Jonathan just had a vision of someone, and it's strange he said that this morning because all week I've been praying that our entire body here would be baptized in the Holy Spirit, our children and everybody else. You know, I think it's important in these days. I think there's an incentive of power that's there uh, through the Holy Spirit. And I want us to know that blessing. It's for every believer. It's not just for people who attend Pentecostal churches. It's for every believer. Can anybody say amen to that? Okay, let's pray together. Lift your heart up. Would you right now for about 20 or 25 minutes or so, just clear your heart, clear your minds of everything that would beset you today, all that what's been going on all week and today and what's going to go on later today and everything. Just get it out of your minds and just open your minds for a few minutes and listen to the voice of the Spirit because He's going to be speaking and then we're going to put it into practice in just a few minutes because you are capable of doing what I want to preach on. And you will do it in Jesus' name. Father, thank you today for the powerful service in worship and praise. Thank you for a people of praise and worship. Thank you for our praise team and musicians. But what a mighty anointing that we've sensed and felt here. And Lord, you set the stage for the word to be anointed, not because I preach it or anyone else preaches it, because the word is powerful itself. There's power in the word. The word testifies of itself. That is power unto salvation. And Lord, that is sharper than a sword. It's sharper than a razor. It's sharp even to the penetration of our soul and our spirit. Lord, to turn our hearts, to change us. And to accomplish what the word is sent forth to do. So we pray for enlightenment in your word today. Make it real, make it alive. Lord, help me to preach, Lord, that that you would have me preach and not say anything, Lord, that would detract or deter from the Scriptures. But, Lord, help me to preach with clarity and unction and purpose. And may your people have ears of understanding today. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. And would you get your Bibles... Two Old Testament passages in the Pentateuch that I want to preach from. The first is in Exodus, so find Exodus, the 17th chapter, and then find, if you would, Numbers, the 20th chapter. Exodus, the 17th chapter, and Numbers, the 20th chapter, because this is important. I know you probably have read this maybe in Sunday school. But there's two stories that's told by Moses, the author of these books. And there's a reason that God had him to do it each way that he did. How many understands this one fact before I even started? Children included. Moses never got to take the children of Israel into the promised land when they came out of Egypt. Is that true? You know, and we've often wondered why. Why was he hindered and Joshua was able to take them in? Why was it that they wandered 40 years after they left Egypt with all of God's provisions? And they left Egypt, and yet it was not that long of a trip 
from where they were in Egypt to the promised land. But yet 40 years they spent going through the same circle every year. Every year they ended up in the same circle. They had time to build a tabernacle in the wilderness. They had time uh, to be renewed and so forth. The younger children in that 40 years got much older and the old ranch by the time it was over. But there's a reason and a purpose. Something simple that Moses didn't understand and grasp. Even when God called his children together to watch what Moses was going to do on behalf of God. So just keep that in mind. Moses made a serious mistake or had a rebellion in what God told him because he had a different idea about something than what God had. God wants to show us something this morning that will affect us for the rest of our lives. And you'll be glad to know it because it will help you in every crisis you face and every situation you find yourself in. You automatically begin to do this. Beginning with verse 1. I only want to read uh, uh, a few verses in the 17th chapter. Exodus, the 17th chapter, beginning with verse 1. This is uh, after Israel had come out of captivity and slavery in Egypt. God had set them free and delivered them with much goods they had initially when they came out. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched and rafed them. And there was no water for the people to drink. This is in the desert. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is that that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel and your rod, wherewith you smote the river. Take in your hand and go. Behold, I will stand before you upon the rock in Oreb. And thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of that place Massah, or Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now I want you to turn to Numbers, the book of Numbers, a couple of books away from where we just read. Actually, the fourth book of the Bible. Numbers, the 20th chapter. Numbers, the 20th chapter. Begin reading. Again with the first verse. Listen carefully to these two stories. 
By the way, there's uh, possibly, and, and no one is sure, but if you want a time between the time of Exodus, where I just read you the story, it's probably two and a half to three years later when this story is told. It had time to go around that entire wilderness area. And they went around that area about one time a year. Jonathan, it took them a whole year to circle. How many of you would have gotten tired after the first year uh, by wandering in the desert? And you keep getting in that circle. And you keep coming to the land of you're going into your homeland. And you look over the mountain and you see those lush valleys. And yet, when you start to go in, the God says, nope, take another lap. Well, that lap lasts a year. And the heat and the cold, and always without instantaneous food. And so they did what everybody does, they grumbled. They griped. First of all, they griped at one another, and when that didn't work, they griped at Moses. Moses, why did you bring us out of this place? Oh, they were, they were, they were so ready to get out of Egypt. They were slaves. They did slaves work. They were thrilled with Moses. He was a god to them when he brought them out. Now, a few years later, they're angry with him because they're in the desert. They're not near any water, and they hadn't had water in a few days, and they're thirsty. And they start grumbling at Moses. Why'd you bring us out of Egypt for? Why'd you do that? We should have stayed there. At least we had water to drink. At least we had food. Never mind that God provided instantaneous food for them. Never mind that he was supernatural and anything they needed, he provided. Notice the Bible says, even their clothes didn't wear out 40 years. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to shut something after about five years. I mean, even if it's not wore out, you get tired of looking at it. You know, I haven't bought a lot of clothes in the last years. So I go to my closet and the same thing, and I say, Lord, I'm tired of looking at those shirts. I'm tired of looking at my sweater. Tired of looking at my slacks. You know, but they aren't worn out. My wife says, honey, they always look new. People think you got new clothes. I said, because I don't wear them that often, you know. But I'm not ready to throw them out. God provided for Israel for 40 years. Now, listen to this. Two or three years after that first encounter where they griped and grumbled with Moses, and then Moses was serious. He came to the Lord. He said, hey, you know, this is not my fault. I did what you told me to do. I let them out of Israel. Yeah, you opened the river, the Red Sea for them to go through. You provided for all these years. That's not enough for them. They need something now. So they're angry with me, and they're about to stone me. So what are you going to do? And God said, gather together the leaders and come before a rock. Everybody say rock. And I'll show you where it's at. Bring your wand. And when I tell you, I want you to smite the rock. And when you smite the rock, what's going to happen? What is going to come out of it? Is that natural? Or is water in that rock? And how did water get in there? Or was it already in there and God just did a miracle and made it come out that he just put it in? Well, maybe it wasn't in there at all. God just provided a miracle of water all of a sudden for them. Now listen to this story. Similar to the same story, only. Now catch the words. This is important. This is about two and a half or three years later that they came again. Then came the children in verse uh, chapter 20 of Numbers. 
Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin. Or in the other book, it said Zin. It's the same one. In the first month, and the people abode in Kadesh. And Miriam, who was Moses' sister, died there and was buried there. And there was no water for the congregation. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and now against Aaron because Aaron uh, was the first of the priesthood. Now, how many people, somebody take a stab and guess, how many people were present in the congregation is called of Israel? How many were in that band that wandered for 40 years? Take a guess, somebody. How many people was Moses in charge of? All of them? How many was that? Charlie? Yeah, there were over a million people. Did you hear that? There were over a million. They had had time to multiply. They multiplied when they were in Egypt. God blessed them there. Though they were slaves, God blessed them. To the point they blessed Egypt. Then Egypt became jealous of them. Pharaoh was afraid God was going to raise them up. They'd take over. Everything they did prospered. Egypt prospered. But God led them out with provisions. And now they've come back to that same place they were before. And rather than understand that God will provide for them again, they're not going to die first. I mean, now they've been out there 8 or 10 years already. And so they aren't going to die of thirst. They automatically have to know that. If they looked around, they say, well, this is the same place we were at about three years ago, and God opened the rock up, water poured out. So rather than ask God, what do they do again? They come against Moses and against Aaron. And verse 3, and the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. They're getting a little bit worse before they wanted to stone him. Say, why would you bring us out now? We should have died long ago. How many of have been to the place? You say, what's the use? Should have died a long time ago. How many have been to a place? You say, oh, I just wish I'd stay where I was. Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? And verse 4, why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord? Asking Moses, into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die there. And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? There wasn't anything evil about it, but because they were thirsty and angry, it became evil. It is no place of seed. In other words, it is not going to grow anything. Or figs, or vines, meaning grapes or pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle, that temporary tabernacle, that whenever they left an area, they packed it and carried it with them, of the congregation, and they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. Now listen what God said. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, same thing he did before almost. Take your rod and gather thou the assembly together, you and your brother Aaron, and speak, everybody say speak, you unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water 
out of this rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beast drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, the same one before. And he said unto them, Here now, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock not once but twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and the beast also. Now, having heard that story, what was the error that Moses committed there? He was told to speak to the rock and not to smite it. So why do you think he took the rod and smote it anyway? Yeah, he was angry. He wanted to show God he was angry. How has that been disobedient to the Lord? But you're here, so you obviously you didn't pay a very heavy price for it. I've gone against God's will. I didn't do it intentionally, but I paid a price for it. It doesn't tell you right here, but later it reveals in the Pentateuch Moses himself that he did not get to take the children of Israel into the promised land because, and it didn't say what he did, it said because of the incident in the Hebrew and the incident at Meribah, which is where they were in the desert at that rock. Moses' disobedience to God when the whole million people of Israel was gathered together, God wanted to show Israel something other than just a physical force of power that they could accomplish when they were wandering in that desert. Now, there's something that happened between these two chapters, and, and some scholars even say there's five years later. In the process of that, how many remembers when Moses, while they were in the desert, went up onto Mount Sinai, and there he met the Lord? How many remembers the occasion? And there he stayed with the Lord. How long? You're right. Forty days, Andy. That's correct. And when he came down, he had such a brightness from being in God's presence, Mary, I mean right there in God's presence with him. He couldn't make out the figures of God. He couldn't see the, any any physical things because the light was too bright for his eyes to behold. But when he came down, just being in God's presence, he was a glow. And what ha- what they had to do to Moses? They had to put a veil over him. Why? Because looking at him would blind you. That's how powerful. God wanted to show Moses something. And in the process, when they were in Egypt, God found it, listen to this, God found it much easier to take Israel out of Egypt than he did to take Egypt out of Israel. They had been slaves. It was a mentality that they had developed. Israel was, I mean, uh, Egypt was the most powerful nation on earth. And they had become slaves and slaves to a mentality that it took power. 
And Moses understood that when they went into the land of Israel, that they would have to go in by force and force those nations out by fighting with them or by destroying them or whichever method they chose to use. They didn't realize that when they went in, that they were to go in and God would do the battle for them. All they had to do was be obedient and march around the city of Jericho, the most powerful city that was on the plains. And all they had to do was just march around those walls and by the way, the walls were something like 25 feet tall and they were so wide that you literally could drive a chariot around the walls. So they were fortified city. God on Sinai had hope that by being in his presence that Moses would understand. Moses, there's a change that takes place from this day forward. There's going to be a change that takes place that moves from a world of force and power to a world of faith and obedience and speaking. Is everybody listening? But because Moses still had that attitude, and because he was still involved in anything you do, you have to do by force. The reason God revealed himself and talked with Moses 40 days He wanted Israel to understand. Israel from now on, I will be your God in Israel. You'll no longer be slaves. Get rid of that mentality. For now, you will speak to nations. You will speak to walls. You will speak to your problems. You will speak to your situations. And by power, and my power, we just sang the song, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. How many believe that? But that power is not necessarily his physical form. It wasn't in what he could do. The power lied in his mouth and in his tongue and what he spoke. Notice that when he was on earth, he spoke to diseases and they were healed. He spoke, then food came in fish's mouth. He spoke and taxes were paid. He spoke the word of God and the miracles happened. You never saw him going around, wrestling with the devil, getting him in a full, full headlock, banging his head into the wall, stepping on his toes, punching him in the mouth, and going around fighting. He was literally humble his whole life and career on earth. And what he wanted to accomplish, he spoke to it, and it happened. He wanted that to be the way we done things, leaving that world that we had to think we had to force it to be done, and that world of power that we thought we had to use to get anything done. God was even trying to change Moses 1,700 years before Christ came, that he would understand this one thing. Moses, it doesn't take a force of power. It takes the force of belief that God will take care. And when my son Jesus comes, you will also do the same thing in him, for he will speak and it shall be done unto you. Notice that even Jesus said in his time on earth that I say to you, if you say, everybody say, say unto this rock. Are you catching the gist here? Are you listening? If you say to this rock, open up and guess forth water. He didn't say hit it with a rod. He said, I say unto you, if you say, everybody say say, unto this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea, then you got to get an army up. you got to get a bunch of Christians together. 
and get a steam shovel and some bulldozers and by power force that thing into the sea. You've got to wrestle with your hang-ups, your problems for a long time till the devil knows you mean business. You've got to force the devil into doing what you want to get done. You've got to sit there and demand. You've got to get him in a headlock, punch him in the nose, stomp on him, cast him back to hell. Got news for him. He's not in hell. But somehow, we still think the kingdom of God operates in the world of physical forces. Anybody listening? And we still got this mental thing that, Lord, what I can accomplish, I'll do. And how often we miss the Lord by faith, by attempting to do something that takes physical force or physical power to do it. And we go ahead and do it. And we wear ourselves out in all of this physical force of serving God. And we all want more power. And yet all it takes is that mental ascent to leave that slavery alone. Because we did live in a world of force and power. But Satan doesn't. Listen, you are not as powerful as Satan in a Apart from Christ living in you, he would make mincemeat out of us every day. What Satan understands is you are a human being and he's more powerful than you are apart from Christ. But what he listens to is authority and the Word of God. It doesn't matter whether Jesus spoke it, whether Paul spoke it, whether Peter spoke it, James or John or any others. When they spoke forth the Word and they didn't use physical power and when they simply spoke the Word, Satan listened and backed off from that because he understands that the world has changed. He still lives in a world of force and he still lives in a world of power to put you in prison by that authority and by that power. For he uses power to transform this world into its own image, into the image he wants it to be in. And God wants to emancipate us from living in that world of force by Satan to the world of faith to make it easier on your mind, make it easier on your body to make it easier in your spirit. He wants to transform you into one being that will simply believe what God says and His Word when you speak it. It's no longer you speaking it, but the Holy Spirit takes that Word and it becomes a sword. It becomes two-edged. And so when you plunge that sword into whatever you speak, water comes forth. Are you getting my point? Are you getting this? It's not your words. And if you're going around thinking, I'll speak to it and it'll happen, you may not get it done. Because God's looking for faith in an individual. You speak those words by faith. And when you speak them in the Holy Spirit, here's those words. Who spoke that? And so when you speak that, immediately it becomes a sword in the hand of the Spirit. And he uses that sword to break down and destroy and do what you've spoken to. That's the world of force and power. The world of force and power does not dwell in us, Dwight. It dwells in the spirit realm. It dwells. I can't make the devil do anything. And if I think I'm bold enough to go with him 40 days in the wilderness, I'm going to be destroyed. Why didn't Christ just grab him by the hair of the head if he's got any? His horns might be in the way. Why didn't he just grab him and say, hey, look at here. I created you. 
You listen to me. Satan did everything in his power by force of world to force Jesus into captivity. And every time that he would come up with something, Jesus would say this. It's written. My father said, I can do nothing but what my father says do. Therefore, get behind me. I'm not going to wrestle with you. I'm not going to get my knuckle buddy smacking you in the face. I'm not going to wrestle with you get down all in the ground. I don't have to do that. You deal in the supernatural world of power and force. I deal with a supernatural world of spirit. That when I speak, it happens. Therefore, I speak to you. Get behind me. And Satan had to obey. Forty days and forty nights, Jesus fought with him by the word in the wilderness. And he came out unscathed and unscarred. He was tired at the end of that forty days and forty nights because the Spirit came and sent angels even ministered to him while he was there. It took some real ministry for Jesus to be able to overcome that. But when Moses was in that wilderness and those million people were gathered together, God knew when they went into that promised land, they had no physical weapons, Charlie. They didn't have a bunch of swords. They didn't have any muskets. They didn't have any AK assault rifles. They didn't have anything to fight with. All they had was what God wanted to show them. Look, I brought you out of Egypt. I have preserved you. And when you go into the land, you will go in not by power and force because you don't have any. You may be a million people, but you are without a standing army. You have no power and force to run those in the land out. So if you will be obedient to me and just do what I ask you to do and allow the realm of faith, the supernatural realm of the Spirit to invade you, and that's what God wanted to show Moses there when he said, gather the people together. And don't hit that rock. Let them know that by faith, when you speak, it's going to happen. Now, Moses may have been afraid that he'd have been shown up by God. He might have been afraid when God said, gather and gather and water, and Moses would have said, I command you water to come out. And water didn't come out. Moses would have been embarrassed, wouldn't he? Somewhere along the line, God had drew a million people together to watch an incident of faith. God said, no longer. You're not a nation of force and power. But you're my people. And in the spirit realm, I will do, Moses, what you say. How many can believe that's true today? How many believe that's what God wants us to do? How many is tired of wrestling with your own situation? You have wrestled. You have, you, you've rebuked the devil. You've done everything. Maybe sickness has invaded your body and, and everything else. You know, me of all people, I realize that I don't have any help outside of faith. I don't have any help. I can't go to a doctor to preserve my life because there is no cure for myasthenia gravis. There is no cure for it. I've already lived longer than most people. There is no cure for it. It's an incurable disease. Nathan has not a hope in the world, my grandson, on life support because there isn't one thing that can be done physically to heal that disease. So I don't have a force of power. There's nothing I can do about that disease except to have faith in him who said, by his stripes you were healed. So I 
speak to it every day. When my feet hit the floor, I speak to this disease every morning. You are under control. Today, I will be victorious over you. I call it by name. My senior gravis, you are a defeated disease. You don't exist in my body. And if you did, I wouldn't yield to it anyway. So I speak to you. Depart. And we need to start speaking to our situations. That's it, sweetheart. You help me out here. You help me out all you can. Amen. And he got out of the car. I walked up to him this morning. He just gave this big smile. It's adorable. That's it. You help all you want to. Yes. You lead the audience and clapping for me. Amen. The emancipation. A freedom in your life will not happen by power and by force. Somebody say amen. God is attempting to make us realize that the power that He talks about in Scripture, that you will be in tune with power, honey, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That you will have power. That power is not a physical realm. It's not a force that we can get a hold of and muscle our way into situations that can't be got into. It's not by power that we get into those situations. It's not by power that we close the door to our situations, but it's by the rim of power, by our word. Somebody look and say, point at my mouth, this is where my power is. That's why the Lord says, your words are a matter of life and death. It's your words. So we speak to our situations. And when we speak, it doesn't matter where you are. If you speak the word, listen. There were people that gave an account in the Bible of them. They weren't Christians. They were hardened sinners. But they spoke the words of God. And when they did, the forces took over in the supernatural realm and carried out what even sinners spoke because they spoke the word. The apostle Paul said in his day, when he was in prison, the prison epistles, which are Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Actually, he was in prison under First and Second Timothy. And he wrote, but those three, especially Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, he was in a prison dungeon in Rome when he penned those three books. And here's what he said. He says, some are out there preaching because they want me to be ashamed. Some are preaching because they have egos. Some are preaching to embarrass me. And some are preaching to suppose that they're better than I am, and I'm paraphrasing what Paul said, and he said, some are even preaching for filthy lucre, meaning money. But he said this, whatever and for whatever reason they're preaching, people is hearing the gospel, and that gospel word is effective in their lives, regardless of the purpose in which they preach. That answered a lot of prayers, answered a lot of questions for me. Is God, why does it seem like pastor who's gone off the deep end, pastors who's been caught in adultery, pastors who has embarrassed the Christian community, pastors who have been allowed to keep on in ministry, and ministers across the world, why is it yet that they still keep on, they still have successful ministries, and when they speak, something is done? Here we are, a bunch of us, you know, and we speak, and we do, and we do, and we do, and we still can't seem to open the doors to the kingdom of heaven. And I've often wondered why. It's because they're still speaking the word. Their lives may not line up, but they're still speaking the word. Now, that doesn't give them a crutch to sin. But God honors the word. Is anybody listening? And when you speak that word, that word is ought to lift your lips. That word is not yours anymore. 
it becomes a tool of the Holy Spirit. That's what God wanted to show to Moses. Moses, you can't make water come out of that rock. There isn't an ounce of water in that. Now, we aren't talking about a little rock. We're talking about this big rock you can climb up on. There's no water in that rock. But when you speak to it, water's going to come forth. Regardless of what your situation is, you say, Lord, it just isn't there. Or when you're really down, Lord, it ain't there. But the Lord says when you speak to it, the Spirit will create it to be there. I've looked at situations that frankly, it ain't there. It just ain't there. I've looked at it, turned it upside down, opened it, closed it, opened it again, closed it again, researched it, shined a light on it, magnifying glass, and I can truthfully say, Lord, it just ain't there. I've wrestled with that in a number of areas in my ministry, my healing and everything else. And the Lord keeps saying, speak to it, speak to it, and I'll create it there. You can't create it. I don't expect you to. But when you speak it, supernatural forces take over. It's no longer your words. It's my words. So you say, well, Pastor, I don't know if I even believe what I speak or not. I don't even know if I can believe that because I spoke it and said it before. You have to understand when you speak something, the words are alive. How many believe this word's alive? It is not paper and ink. The word is not just paper and ink. But this word lives and breathes. It is literally alive. How many can say it's alive? I know this is just a leather-bound Bible of words, pages, and ink. But this word is alive. And when we speak this word over healings, they take place. When we speak this word over our families, it happens. When we speak this word over our finances, it happens. When we speak this word over our spouses, our children, when we speak this word, God performs the word. He doesn't perform it because you want it done. He doesn't perform it because of you. He performs it because it's the word. And He's already left it out there. And He said, say unto this mountain. He didn't say try to move it. He didn't say do something about it. He said, speak to it. If only we could ever emancipate ourselves from a world of force, believing somehow that the power that we're lacking in our lives, if we just had that power that so-and-so has, then we could lay hands on and see him recover. The Bible says nothing about that. The, the word power is to be used there. It means to, uh, the force to be holy. It's the power to live godly. It's the power to have faith. That's the power that He baptizes us in the Holy Spirit for. To live God and even be a martyr if if necessary. So what's God saying to people today? That He started it 1,600 years ago through Moses. Over a million people said, Moses, I want them to see this. Because when they go into the land, I'm going to really do some strange things. You had not seen nothing yet. Start preparing them. Because when I take you into the land, I'm not going to give you weapons. I'm going to tell you to march around that first city you get to, that stone wall that's about 8 to 10 feet thick and, and about 20 feet tall. And I'm going to tell you that that wall is going to fall down when you march around it. How many times? How many times a day did they walk around it? 
How many days did they walk around Jericho? Let's get it straight, Charlie. What? Something so simple to be scary. Anybody with a brain out of those million people walking around a fortified city, the most powerful city in the plains. That meant the whole Mediterranean area. Walls thick enough you could drive a chariot around. They literally had little offices in the gates when the wall itself built in and where the gate was. That's where the judges went to judge people, you know, in those cities. And here they are walking around looking at that big, massive, thick wall. And now, Lord, we're going to walk around this thing seven times and blow the trumpets, and the wall's supposed to fall down. Now I know that piercing sounds can break glass. But I don't believe we're going to tear that wall down by marching around it seven times. If somebody told me that's how I was going to accomplish my victory, I said, I'll never get it. Because there's no way that's going to happen. How many could understand that? God wanted to teach Israel something early. Listen, God wanted to teach Israel something early in their experience with Him. For when they got into the land, it wasn't military might that they conquered the nations around them. God used every supernatural force that He could. On an occasion when the Malachites lie in a valley, they'd come against Jerusalem. And they were ready to invade under David, King David. They were ready to assault the city and destroy it. David sent out spies to look out there at them. And they came back and said, Lord, we're covered. We're doomed. We are doomed. Our little pitiful army with the little weapons we have is nothing to compare with the Amalekites out in that desert waiting. Lord, there are ten thousands at thousands. Not ten thousand, but ten thousands. And the Lord says, I hear you. I tell you what I want you to do. Now listen to this. I want you to take the men of Israel down to the water. And what I want you to do is when they get down there, I want you to have them drink out of the water. And I want you to make a line over here and a line over here. And those that lap the water like a dog, I want you to put them over here. Are you listening? And those that drink it with cuffed hands, I want you to put them over here. Well, by far and large, those that drink it with cuffs, I mean, not many people are going to lap like a dog. You have to be awful thirsty and your tongue has to be wide and long to get it enough. Most of us don't have that. So when I got through, David looked, he said, well, Lord, I got quite a few hundred here. God says, no, you only got 300 on this side. And Lord said, that's the army that's going to defeat all of these Amalekites. Now, are you listening? I'm finished in a minute, but listen. And I said, David said, Lord, we don't stand a chance. Our 300 men dog lappers are going to defeat that army. You know, what are we going to use as weapons? Oh, and God said, oh, I forgot to tell you, you don't have any. Okay, Lord, we're going to use 300 men against an army of probably 30,000 people. 300 of us. And we don't have any weapons. And we're going to win. God says, yep. I tried to tell Moses in the desert, you have to speak to these situations. You have to trust. 
And God said, said David said, Lord, what are we going to do? God says, I want you to take these 300 men and I want them to get a lantern. And at night time, I want you to go surround the valley where that army is sleeping for the night, getting prepared for battle the next day. God says, I want you to put a, a candle in the lantern. Not oil, but a candle. Take your trumpets with you and scatter out behind the mountains. And God says, when I give you the order in the night to stand up, He says, I want you to stand up, open the lantern, and light your candle and hold it up. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were David, I'd say, oh, oh that, that's wonderful. Now they can see us for good. I mean, all they got to do is you shoot us. I mean, Lord, I mean, I want to obey you. But I mean, this is getting ridiculous. We're going to be exposed. And the Lord says, oh, and I forgot to tell you, I want you to break the lanterns and give a loud shout and blow the trumpet. Oh, now they're going to know not only that, they're going to see us where we are, and when we break the lanterns, we can't see. We're going to blow the trumpets. All they got to do is follow the sound. We are dead. We're dead. And all these men said, I wish we'd have been the one that cuffed the water in our hands and drank it. How many of you would have wanted to have been there? How many of you would have wanted to have been in that army? I said, I think I'm going back, David. I don't think I'm going to give my life this easily. Lord, this is a bad mistake. But God wanted to teach Israel about speaking and believing in faith. And when they stood up and they lit those candles and they began to blow those trumpets and shout, it literally petrified that army of 30,000. They looked up into those hills and all they saw were those lights and trumpets blaring. And it caused them to turn on one another and tens of thousands lost their lives in that valley that night. God did it over and over and over again. He reminded Israel when at one time when they wanted to count the soldiers of Israel and the twelve tribes, God says, I don't need you to count them. I know how many is there. Well, we need to know what a standing army we got. God says, I'm the only army you ever need. How many is listening to this? God says, I'm the only one you ever need. If you will just trust and you will believe that my words are true. And when I say to you, speak to your sickness. Speak to your finances. Speak to the mountain that has invaded your life. Speak to your hardships. Speak to mental slavery that you've gotten into. And because you're there, all you know how to do is just kind of try to keep fighting to keep your head above water. How simple it is. And it's too simple. We want to do something else. We can't believe that God would honor me. We can't believe that with all my failures, all of my weaknesses, all of my situations in my life, that God would just do it because me of all people would say do it. But it's not you. It's God's Word that you speak that will come to pass when you honor it with faith and believe that when you say to this mountain, be removed. The Lord wasn't just trying to for people to bob apples. He's holding some promise up here and He keeps saying bob for it and He keeps moving it where they never get it. He said to this mountain, if you say to it, if you say to it, everybody say, if you say to it. How many of you have got something you need to say today to a mountain? I want you to raise your hand. Come on. I don't know who I'm talking to. You've got something you need to say to a mountain in your life. 
Lord began to speak to my heart. The Lord says, I don't want you just to preach the message. I want you to encourage them and give them opportunity to begin to speak to those mountains that's in their way. The Lord says, call the congregation together. Are you listening? Provide the word and have them speak. And when they speak, the supernatural forces will take over. Just as God instructed Moses in the wilderness, call the people together. Moses speak to this rock. And Moses hit it twice. Once out of frustration and once because, Lord, are you listening? I'm finished. Lord, this is the way you did it before. Are you following me? Before, I smoked the rock and water came out. So that's the way you're going to do it. Didn't matter that God had changed things. It didn't matter that he had a new plan in mind. All Moses do was being subject to slavery and mentality of it. This is the way God done it. This is the way he's going to do it now. And he smoked the rock twice. And water came out. But God says, you let one million people down, Moses. I told you I wanted to show them something. And because of that, you'll not go in to the land. I wonder how many problems in our lives that we've incurred and that we're entrenched in something that we just can't get out of because by force we tried to take it. By power we tried to take it. We haven't realized that the authority is in the Word of God. The power is in His Word. Jesus said, Speak and it shall be done. Whatever you say, you shall have. I, I'm not going to do it now because I don't have time to give them all. But get this, Charlie, you may know this. Jonathan, you may know it. Scott, you may know it. Some others of you who's done the Word may know this. There are over 36 times in Scriptures that talks about speaking to something. There are eight or nine times in the Gospels when Jesus said, whatever you speak, you'll have. Are you listening? You speak some things you don't even want to happen. I spoke things I don't want to have. Have you? In a moment of anger, a fit of anger, frustration, we spoke the wrong words. But rather in the supernatural spirit, being the Holy Spirit, that supernatural force of evil came and got those words. See, there's two forces out there. Please listen for just another minute. Look this way for just a moment. Those two forces of evil, listen, God, you told me to speak this, I'm speaking it. Those two forces of evil will take every word you ever comes out of your mouth. One force or another is going to have those words. There's no gray area, there's no middle ground. There's no fence sitting. Whatever you speak is going to happen. You say, Lord, I spoke good, but you spoke evil before that. There's a force of kingdom of darkness that will take words and use them. And there's the Holy Spirit that will take words and use them. Your words will be used. They don't just fall empty on the ground. You can't go back and collect them because once you speak them, they're into a forced world. They're into a world of supernatural. Therefore, Jesus said, be careful what you speak. Be careful about jesting, choking. Be careful about when my wife used to tell me, Charlie, and joking, I used to be accident prone. Anybody else but me? She used to tell me I was, she used to call me Grace because I wasn't very graceful. 
I, I get hurt at doing anything. Honey, don't do that because you'll get hurt. Anybody been told that? I don't want you to go do that because you'll get hurt in it. I'd go do it and what happened? I hurt. She didn't say, honey, go do that and it'd be successful. We finally decided this isn't getting anywhere one day. And I got why I was even confessing that. I don't want to do that because I might get hurt. Something simple like mixing cement one day. In Wallace, when we were building the church, I was running a big old vat to mix cement. I've been pouring it in there, shoving it. And stupidly, I got my thumb. Somebody said, you know, watch what you're doing with your hands around those gears that's turning because you get your hand in there. I said, yeah, it'd be just like me to do it. Five seconds later, my thumb got hung in there. It flattened it out pretty good. Fortunately, it didn't lose. The men grabbed it and started praying for it. I'm out in the yard one day cutting down shrubs. It was this high and I had to this big thing to cut it down with. And I'm trying to force those things through that thing. And all of a sudden, I went down to pick up one of the feathers. And when I bent down, I was just talking about these things in sharp. And I said, and I was talking about, you know, I said, I sure hate to fall into those things. Boy, that hurt. I stuck my head down and poked my eye with it. And I bled. Cleaning out a garage one day, I forgot. We took the door off the hinge, a side door, not the big open garage door. And it had a little corrugated nail sticking. I didn't know it. Somebody just told me, they said, there's a nail sticking out there in that door. Somebody was helping me take some stuff out. And I wasn't paying attention. I said, I'll find it wherever it is. And sure enough, when I went out, I had my hands get raked across. I had to go to the doctor and have some stitches put in it. Over and over and over until I realized, stop speaking those things. Honey, don't ever speak any more words over me that's negative. Is anybody listening? How many times have we spoke words over our family, over each other, or in our lives? And they came to pass. How many of you times ever spoke words and they came to pass? Words are powerful. Words will be done. You may not know they're being done. It may take weeks and months. And you've long forgotten the words that you've spoken. Are you listening? And you've long ago forgotten those words you spoke. So when they come to fruition, you don't even remember ever speaking those words. But we gave a kingdom of darkness force to use against us. And now we're wondering, what's going wrong? Why am I all of a sudden going through this? Go back and search out. What we've spoken. But the words you speak of God, the word that you speak is His word. The Bible says those things that come to pass. How many believe that? You have what you say. Come on. How many stand with me? If you believe that. If you believe that. There's some of us, first is, there's some people that really need to begin speaking the word over their health. There's people that need to speak the word over their lives, over their families, over their jobs. We need to speak word over our finances. We need to speak words over our marriages. Over every part of our being. There's some of us that just really need somebody needs to remind Lee and his whole family. Somebody needs to start speaking some words in that family. You know, they've just constantly been sick. Going to the doctor is not the cure all in the panacea. At some time, we've got to take authority and say, Lord, we speak healing over that family. We speak healing of, of, of uh, all those situations that's involved. We speak healing over those that we prayed for and prayed for and prayed for. We've jerked them around. We've anointed them. We've slapped them. We've forced them on the floor. We've done everything. 
And it's still not done. Somehow, we're thinking it's by force. Somehow, we're thinking if we can get a hold of some power, then we can jerk it into them. But it's that simple words that we speak. Jesus said, say unto this mountain. Moses, speak to this rock. Don't you dare smite it. Moses' simple little disobedience hindered him from going into the land. And about 20 years later, he died. Now, I'm not saying God is going to punish you for speaking the wrong words. But I'm saying that we hinder ourselves. I look back when I was preparing this message and I thought, in my life, in my life, I've been an enemy myself. How many of you can identify with that? I've spoken words over me I should have never spoken. I've spoken words over people I should have never spoken. And not, not intentionally to hurt them. Sometimes we get irritated with situations as Moses was with people. And out of anger, he smote a rock. It got done what needed to be done. But in the long run, it destroyed him. God said, give the people a time to come together. I want you to join me here. Come on. I don't know what God wants to do the rest of this service, the rest of this day. I don't know in your life what you may need to speak, but you do. There's things you need to speak to. The Bible says that everything pray. And when we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we've done all that we can do, then we need to start speaking to those things. I believe there's power in our words. How many believe that? How many can think of a scripture? Now, now listen to me a minute. How many can think of a scripture that affects your situation? Raise your hand if you can think of a scripture that affects your situation. Something that you're in, there's a scripture that you know about. We need to begin to confess that word of God over your life. Come on, I want you to lift your hands now. I'm not going to do it for you. I can't. I've been speaking those words over me this whole week. Over this church. I've been speaking for those closed doors to open. I've been speaking for finances. I've been speaking for an increase. I've been speaking for a building. I've been speaking that we become a people of worship and praise and thanksgiving. A people that's healed. A people that's set free. A people that's delivered. I've been speaking that. I pray for every individual in this church that I know that attends here. Every child been called by name. Every family has been prayed for. Every single individual in this church has been prayed for this week. And I've been speaking good things over your lives. But you need to speak to those issues in your life. All week long I spoke them over this. And we're going to see them come to pass. Now, out of faith, can you get a hold of the Word of God and say, Lord, this isn't my Word. This is your Word. If you want to be rebellious, you go ahead and be that. You just stand and don't do anything. And it'll just get worse and deeper and deeper. I'm giving you opportunity right now to speak to your situation and clear it out of God's way. He will honor it. He said, call the people together. Reveal to them what they ought to speak. And I don't know what you want to speak. But speak to those mountains. Praise team musicians, speak to those mountains. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah.